Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm Chad Norman, Internet Marketing Manager here at BlackBot and your host for this nonprofit technology podcast. This is episode 10 for June 24th, 2008. Before we get to the stories, I'd like to introduce the panel. To my right, I have Melanie Malonis, Manager of Public Relations. Thanks for being here, Melanie. Thanks for having me. You can find her at twitter.com slash melmilo. And to my left, I have our old friend, Steve McLaughlin, Director of Internet Solutions. Hey, Chad. And new to the podcast today, we have Jamie Holiday, Internal Communications Coordinator or SharePoint Guru here at BlackBot. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Chad. You can also find her at twitter.com slash mebegirl. Okay, so moving on today, I wanted to uh, jump quickly into a story from one of our online friends, Alan Benimer at the Nonprofit Tech Blog. It was a good post called Learn from the Millennials and How They Do Nonprofit 2.0. It talks a little bit about examples of young people starting nonprofits and how they're using technology. One of the great examples is Jonathan Lunardi from Charity for Debt. The organization gets students into paid volunteer positions that can help pay off their college loans. But what he's doing is he's actually running the organization and writing the code for the website. Let me read you a little bit from the post. There's been much made about the loss of executive leadership that is going to come in the next decade. For one, I don't think that it's a terrible thing, and given the new crop of executive directors coming into the sector, we'll at least not have to explain IT basics to these folks. Imagine yourself as an IT director years from now, and you won't have to worry about explaining the loss of control due to a comment section on a blog, and indeed you won't have to explain what a blog is. How do you think young people and nonprofits are changing the way they use technology? Well, I actually, when I graduated from college, I had three close friends who have gone to work for nonprofits. I have another friend who graduated just last year, and out of the seven roommates that she had, six of them went to work for nonprofits. I think more and more people are coming out of college in this day and age as 20-somethings, and they've got that more global view, and they want to see how they can give back. So that's definitely happening. And the way that we communicate at all as 20-somethings is completely through the Internet. When I was in college, Instant Messenger was my answering machine. So it's just natural for us to go online. So bringing, bringing tools like that into the nonprofit world and just having it be commonplace rather than having to like strike out and find them and bring them in, they just are showing up naturally. Exactly. It would be backwards for them to go out in the community and do it the way that it has been done for all these years. For them, this is just the natural progression. If they're going to start anything, if it's a business or a nonprofit, they're going to go online first. And as Alan mentioned, it's all about aligning technology with the mission, and it goes back to the whole survival of the fittest model that's taking shape in the economy right now as the number of new deep-pocket donors slows um, by using social media tools and interacting interacting with constituents in the many places they are. uh, Nonprofits can deepen affinity and allegiance to their mission. It is interesting how you have technology changes, and then with each successive generation, it becomes, I guess, more part of people's DNA. As Jamie said, you you get used to Instant Messenger if you if you grew up with email or whatever it happened to be, you don't think about a world without it. So you st- you think less about the technology because it's so part of your life. There was a some research that Comscore did, and they looked at 15 to 24-year-olds, and then they looked at um, 44 and above. And for the 15 to 24-year-olds, they spent considerably less time on email, and they spent much more time on Facebook and social media, and it was the exact opposite with the 44-year-olds and over. Much more time spent on email, much less time spent on the social media stuff, and I think that makes sense because if you've sort of been using email or living vicariously through email for years and years and years, it's where you spend the bulk of your time. But email is just, it's the worst form of communication ever invented. We just haven't invented any better ones yet, right? So social media comes along and people want to use other ways and somehow text messaging and Twittering people is 
is much more effective way of communicating than droning on and on in an email message. So I think that stuff will change. Yeah, and that's what Zuckerberg, I think, his vision is for something like Facebook is that that is what you check before your email in the morning. That's his dream is that you check there to see who's online to chat and who sent you a note through there and who's updated their content. Talking about sort of the millennials and Generation Y, this sort of dovetails nicely into the Giving USA data that just came out, I think, yesterday. Talking a little bit about uh, how young people are certainly affecting that data. The uh, Center on Philanthropy at Indiana University, Go Hoosiers, and the Giving USA Foundation have released Giving USA 2008, the annual report on philanthropy. According to the report, Americans donated $306.39 billion last year, which is a 1% increase from the $295 billion donated in 2006 after you account for inflation. So the trend is still down, 3.9 increase in donations over last year. That's 4.2, 13, and 10 if you go backwards, so still going down. But giving to all types of organizations are up. I think it's it's the classical thing that even in the, the Target Analytics Index of National Fundraising performance found, which is since Katrina, donor acquisition, donor retention continues to drop. The only thing that's continuing to increase are the actual amounts being given. So we have less donors being acquired, less donors being retained. Thankfully, the people who are giving are starting to give more. That's a bit tricky when gas prices are around $4 a gallon and you have other economic factors. I don't think that's that's really sustainable. And 1% adjusted for inflation, although that's growth may not exactly be the most positive sign in the world. I don't know. I'm not an economist. Well, it's definitely shaping up to be a pivotal year. Some of the issues factoring the increase from 2006 were the stock market performance, overall growth in GDP, and increase in corporate and personal income. Does that sound familiar this year? Yeah. Eh, Not so much. (laughs) Um, I mean, even on CNN the other night, the Red Cross had reported that they had to borrow from the banks for the second time in the organization's history. So, I mean, people are feeling the economy, and I think it only reemphasizes a point that nonprofits need to be duly focused on acquisition and engagement, and traditional fundraising's out the door. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, it seems like I wonder if people are going to be donating to to less nonprofits, you know, and getting more engaged with the ones that they're really passionate about, which sort of... uh, reinforces some of the stuff we've been talking about with engagement and using social networks and, and talking to people you know, on a regular basis rather than traditional appeals. I think there's also in the, the Giving USA study, there's a bit of a playoff, the millennial generation giving. They do a bit of a breakdown on where people give to. Um, at the top of the list was um, religious organizations, a little over $102 billion, which is up 4, 4.7%, 1.8 adjusted for inflation, some assembly required, batteries not included, you know, all the, the numbers that come into play here. But then you look at something like international affairs, so a little over $13 billion, and that was up 16.1%, 12.9% adjusted for inflation. That's a huge growth in that particular sector. And you see some other things like environment and animal welfare, you know, up over 10%. So I think you're also starting to see where people choose to give to being reflected on a maturing population. The world is flat and people, I think, are more worldly and aware of other things that are happening out there. And and that is reflected in, you know, giving as well, I think, when you when you start to look at the statistics. One thing that was called out that I thought was interesting was the presidential elections not having a real bearing on this. Nonprofits don't seem to be concerned with the impact that an election year is going to have on their fundraising. And even in discussions for Target's national index, they have experienced the same thing. Why do you think that the two aren't closely related? Why do you think they would be related? Because this year is the the dot-com campaign, right? 
people are giving to campaigns and maybe not giving to nonprofits? I mean, if you only have so much money to give. That's what I'm thinking, yeah. but it's interesting that the data doesn't point to that at all. Yeah, I know that um, I've had this sidebar discussion with, with Chuck Longfield, who's Black Blackbot chief scientist, um, and the concept of if if somebody like Barack Obama raises $40 million online in a month, is that cannibalizing giving to other nonprofits? And it's hard to tell, and in most cases, the answer is probably no, because you're mobilizing a particular segment of the population who may not traditionally give to nonprofits, but you'd really have to get into the weeds of the data and look at it and see, well, where are they not giving to, you know, instead of giving to an actual campaign, and that's really tricky in the numbers. You also have to keep in mind that these are people, if they're giving to a candidate because of the things that they're invested in as candidates, then they're probably also giving to those organizations because they're saying, if I give money to this candidate, they're going to further the organization that I believe in. So it may actually be additional dollars as opposed to taking it away from someplace else. I like the point, too, about getting a lot more people engaged that normally wouldn't give. Even if it's to a candidate, that may come back in 2009 and be like, hmm, maybe I'll give again to an organization. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's data to support it, and you don't almost have to go and look at traditional election cycles to see what happens. I think what we are definitely hearing and seeing is a repeat of the phenomenon from 2000, right? So Howard Dean in 2000 tries a lot of new techniques, and it, I think it would be fair to say that over the past eight years, lots of non profits have copied, adopted, embraced, engaged in different ways with constituents based on things that the Dean campaign did. And there's a couple of consulting firms and technology shops that have ridden the coattails of what was done since then as well. I think the same thing will happen after the 08 election. There are things that should definitely be paying attention to whether it's their use of email or social media or mobilizing people in the field, that would be the real, if there's something to get value out of, it would be look at what they're doing, pay attention to some of that stuff and see what you can adopt and maybe not get so fixated on are the are dollars flowing in and out of the nonprofit sector because of um, the election cycle. Because I think traditionally after the election cycle is over, that, you know, those new donors don't suddenly decide to start giving Well, one thing that I thought that was interesting in the data was the fact that donations were coming from foundations was a big increase. I'm I'm not the statistician. I mean, you do look at the numbers and the increase giving increased by about, individual giving increased by about 2.7%, and then corporate gifts were only up by about 1.9%. But to your point that the foundational giving was up by a little over 10%. So you have the foundations and the organizations that do giving through grants and that type of thing. That's up. You could probably trace that back to you know folks like the Gates Foundation and who's the guy from Omaha, Buffett. Warren Buffett. Buffett. Yeah, you know I read a note on that today. <laughs> so, they're, they're a private foundation, and actually the private foundations actually fell because that data was in 2006. Yeah, and they didn't do that last year, so well, it was a 9.4 yeah. percent drop. Yeah, yeah. With big dollars, it's hard to compare year over year accurately. Right. So. Like the year the tsunami happened to Katrina, I'm sure that sort of skewed the numbers a bit too. Yeah. Okay, moving on. BlackBot recently held its first ever higher ed forum in Boston on June 18th, 19th, and 20th. Steve, you went. It was eight sessions each day in two tracks. Great evening event at Fenway. Um, I saw some blogging and tweeting. What were your takeaways from the event? Uh, I sat in through a bunch of sessions. I was only there for one day, but a lot of the sessions that I sat in on were, you know, from you know consultants out in the industry, not not just people from Blackboard talking about things, and then also people from the higher education you know, institutes you know, themselves, where you know you have you know, some folks like from a Marquette University that are talking about using technology and leveraging it. We had you know some folks from the University of Michigan there talking about things that they were doing on the technology front, and so I think a, a pretty good 
good discussion. And I think the other thing that made the conference a little bit different was the folks that we invited were people at sort of the director and executive level within the organization. So it wasn't as focused on the product and the technology stuff. It was really focused on what are challenges they're facing, what are they seeing, what are they trying to do. And I think that made it a pretty valuable session for folks because they could talk with peers at other institutions. Um, at the, the breakfast that I sat in on, there was somebody from a couple of different Big Ten universities all sitting there and, you know, sort of they had some, some common connection um, and different things that they were seeing. But uh, bringing those folks together, I think, is, is pretty valuable. So what I'm curious about is since the higher ed, obviously they have all of the young people and all the millennials that we were just talking about who are great at technology. So does that help propel higher eds to be better at technology and reaching out to their younger constituents and alumni? Or are they still having problems with that? My experience um, working with some of our clients, and I have a friend who works for an alumni association at a college, is that they're kind of behind. I think it it depends. I think they've got some different struggles than traditional nonprofits. I mean, the joke has always been that colleges and universities are the only nonprofits that fire their constituents, right? The end of four years or, you know, or six, depending on what, what your plan is, you know, you're gone from the university. And so they don't have the acquisition problem that that nonprofits traditionally have, but they have a retention problem, right? Because they've got to be able to retain those people and they are all struggling with how do we engage young alums? How do we get them interested? Um, how do we, you know, replenish our pool of donors and members and volunteers? And so that's definitely something um, that they're all trying to take on and, and solve um, as they as they do their work. Because it can't just be about major gifts and campaign mode. They need to cultivate those relationships over a longer period of time. And and certainly the, the Web 2.0 stuff is an area to struggle with. Um, Brian Dowling and I, uh, Brian's the AVP of Development Services at the University of Michigan, and I did a session on Web 2.0. And and definitely there's a lot of questions and struggles around how do we engage this, how do we leverage it, how do we get value out of it, what are we doing. And they all certainly realize that their constituents are using Facebook, they're using social media, they're doing all of this. They, they're all still, I think, struggling a little bit. How do we engage? And in some cases, just try something. Try some experimentation, try some projects. You don't need to do everything in the world, but start somewhere and, and see what results that you can get. And oftentimes the more progressive institutions that are doing stuff online, it's a little bit easier to get momentum on a project when you can point to, hey, look at what this institution is doing, and they've had success with it, and I think that helps to, to drive things forward. Yeah, it's got to be tricky to get results because you're dealing with a base that is their most debt-laden and has probably the least amount of income right when they come out of college. Yeah, yet, yet you're trying to hit them up for money. Well, the um, trick is to get them involved with the university and not necessarily giving, but right. keeping them in mind so in 10 years when they have money right. that they are able to give. And I have seen several instances um, of Facebook being very successful with that, with organizing um, reunions for alumni, five- and ten-year reunions for actually my high school and my college both have Facebook pages for the reunion years. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. The the advantage maybe that higher ed has in this maybe over some other in, uh, organization types is um, typically within a higher education institution, you have a development or an advancement program, which is the fundraising arm, and then you have an alumni relations or alumni services, and the, then the purpose behind the alumni group is that engagement, is that involvement. In fact, in many cases, we see the alumni folks not as interested in the fundraising aspects. They're interested in how do we connect people, how do we develop membership programs, how do we do mentoring, how do we get people to event 
events? How do we have clubs or a local alumni association, especially for larger universities in, in different areas? Um, they're the ones who are really hot to use some of this technology because they're in the business of connecting and reconnecting people. And I think the foundations are trying to look at how can we use that same technology to leverage it in different ways as well. So a lot of definitely a lot of opportunity. And I don't think it's just limited to higher ed. I think certainly other other markets and, and other organization types can look at that and, and say, hey, we could we could try some of those things too. Yeah, it's truly adding that new bottom layer to the traditional pyramid of engagement where so many people start right off at the proposal. Yeah, sort of, will you, will you join? Will you be a, a member? And certainly I know that we've worked with some organizations where you look at how do you recruit a younger constituent and sometimes you know this may apply to like cultural institutions as well as do you have an online membership program where the price point is slightly different and the benefits are different because zoos aquariums museums that kind of thing where you could get somebody to join at a lower price point and the the sort of the incentives are different and for a younger crowd they may want different things they may not care about i don't need the stuffed penguin or the yanni cd i would i don't care about the premium that comes with the membership i just want the membership for whatever reason um and i think that's something that orgs need to look at is um, how do they change the offering for for different groups because not all people want the same thing surprisingly all right um i'm out of my big topics i had firefox 3 i mean that was sort of the big news this week everybody download it no one downloaded it downloaded it and i won't admit to it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> won't admit to it. Well, download day, June 17th, 8 million people downloaded. Surely a record, although there was no record to compare it to. Anybody played with it yet? That obviously Smart makes Smart location bar. Very nice. Very cool feature. I'm kind of over it. I can't get my bookmark icons working. <laughs> so they have we one need to click spend more time getting to know each other. <laughs> There's that one-click bookmark, the star up in the location field. Just click it bookmark it anyway, i use delicious anyway i don't bookmark anything i plan to download it and the password manager feature is kind of cool too it only remembers the ones that it ex- successfully goes through you know what i mean like if you ever type in your password wrong and it would remember oh, yeah. it yeah i never cool. use that i was too too big brother for me ah. yeah all right with the main topics over i thought we'd go to melanie malonis for the black bod news desk what's new at the bod well, as you know, Chad, since you edited it, <laughs> since the last podcast, we've launched a new podcast called Blackbot Interviews. And in the first episode, Chuck Longfield and Jay Love provided an update on the integration of the target companies and e-tapestry with Blackbot, and also discussed their views on consolidation both within the sector and within the software industry serving it. So along with the emergence of SaaS, and it was a really interesting episode, lots of great info. Well, where can our listeners find it if they want to download it and love it? Same place as the podcast at blackbod.com slash podcast or at the iTunes Music Store. And we'll be featuring leaders from BlackBot and from throughout the sector, and we'll explore critical issues faced by nonprofits, so be sure to stay tuned. And on another note, our uh, corporate relations and philanthropy team just rewarded its second round of Reward Your Passion grants. And this program uh, was launched earlier this year, and employees are encouraged to apply for a grant from the fund on behalf of a nonprofit they volunteer with. And I know one of our fellow panelists here was a recipient. Jamie, you want to tell us a little bit about it? I would love to. Um, I've actually started working with a small nonprofit called His Healing Helping Hands International Ministries out of Oklahoma City, and it's run by my friend's dad. And it's a great organization that does um, economic development in third world countries. And I actually got to go to Africa with them in February, which was an amazing experience. And 
being able to give back through my volunteering and then also being able to give them this little extra push, which could buy five prosthetic limbs for amputees in Sierra Leone is just huge. So thanks, BlackBot. That's awesome. Well, I know with more than 1,700 employees, uh, the majority of whom volunteer, it gets pretty competitive. So congratulations. Thanks. Melanie, didn't you win something as well? Uh, Yes, I did. (laughs) On the first quarter, uh, I serve on the board of Fields to Families. We work with local farmers in the Charleston community here who donate uh, excess produce, and we share it with nonprofits who feed the hungry in our area. So that $500 is going to help pay for the ever-rising cost of gas for our transport. (laughs) No doubt. Is there anything here on the product side of the news that we'd like to talk about? Well, really exciting development on the product side is a recent launch of the BlackBod Net Community Idea Bank. And uh, this is a beta version of an interactive suggestion forum allowing users to post, vote, and discuss suggestions for BlackBod Net Community. You can check it out at blackbodnetcommunity.uservoice.com. Steve, how is this going to be used on the, the products world? This is just kind of taking a page from what some other um, software and technology vendors like Dell and some others have done where giving customers an opportunity to send us ideas and suggestions and and other kinds of things, like with with some other things that we've done around that community. Let's try something a little bit different. Let's play around with some technology, drink our own champagne, see what, you know, can come of it. And so this idea bank, we wanted to start with uh, that community to start with and see what kind of suggestions we get. But ideas or really anything, I mean, we'll kind of see where it goes and, and which direction it gets taken in. So it could be, hey, here's an idea for something in the product, or it could be an idea or a suggestion around it. It would be really cool if you could do this, or someone just has just a very general or generic idea or session, you know, topic or something like that for us to take a look at. So we'll see where it goes. Yeah, that's what I liked about this tool was that it really gave us the opportunity to to comment as staff on what's happening with each idea, whether it's been accepted or completed or we're looking at it. And uh, that's something I haven't seen from a lot of the other tools. They just collect ideas and then they sort of just disappear into the void. And uh, this will get a, give us a great way to communicate back and, and work with the community in a collaborative way. Anything else on the news front? That's it this week. Stay tuned, though. We have some upcoming... Uh events we're going to be sharing some info about yeah i was gonna say i have a few things to plug as well but i think i'll wait a couple weeks so does anybody have any last minute things would they like to cover before we wrap it up well on friday the marketing department was abuzz with this wonderful song that one of our customers uh debuted a video on youtube celebrating a go live so i leave you with blackbaud by the paradise lounge lizards That does it for this episode of the podcast. I'd like to thank our guests, Melanie Malonis, Steve McLaughlin, and Jamie Holiday. 
If any of you listeners have any feedback, please send us an email at thebodcast at blackbot.com. And we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. So until then, I'm Chad Norman, and thanks for listening to The Bodcast. <laughs>